What are the signs that a depressive episode may be pending? What are some tools for depression management? Can we connect through community? What does it mean to ride the wave of emotion? What is opposite action? Today, we will define and discuss depression in its various forms. We will also take a look at the possible underlying root causes. In addition, what are the signs and symptoms that a suicidal thought presents a real and present danger? And what should one do about it? Lastly, we will present resources for those struggling with depression, as well as a guide for those who may know someone who is struggling. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Justin, how's it going? Great. Are you sure? Yeah, I think so. Justin taught me how to make a reverse sear steak, and I totally screwed it up yesterday. What did I do, Justin? That was wrong. You cooked it at a really high temperature. I, 280 degrees is not a high temperature. I don't know. It's basically like you cooked it. Yeah, it came out. It looked It looked like it was all bent and stiff. I was like, oh, man. You just want to keep it at around 200, 220 so that the like fat renders. Yeah, the, whatever whatever fat rendering is. Justin is, is a better cook than I am. He, he really is. You, what else do you cook? You make all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, I just don't bake. I don't like baking. Do you make pancakes? No, I don't make pancakes. Why not? I don't know. That's kind of like baking. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't, I don't like the fact that like with baking, it's like pass or fail, you know, but with cooking, it kind of feels more like the real world where it's not about pass or fail. It's about, oh, well you screwed up, but it's like still edible. Right. Whereas if you bake something and you screw up, then... You just got to start over. Yeah, that's true. And then my other point of contention with you, besides the fact that you didn't impress upon me the importance of the temperature of the steak as much as you should have, which I blame you for, was... I mean, you could always Google it, so... No, I was relying on your infinite knowledge of of such things. You never never texted or... I wasn't... I'm not going to text you. You, you, I trusted you to tell me the truth. I told you everything. But not with enough emphasis. Mm, Well... (laughs) It's up to you if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's probably true. Okay, so what are we here to talk about today? I don't know. You have the clipboard of knowledge. I do. So we're here to talk about depression and um, your experience with depression and your how you've dealt with it and basically educate the public about depression and how they can manage it, how you can recognize the signs and symptoms of it, all the things. Yeah. I guess I want to start with a very basic definition of what dep- what's, what, what's depression to you um being sad and what's it like when you get sad i shut down i don't really want to do anything i would rather be curled up in a ball on my bed not doing anything at all for days and sometimes weeks yeah yeah so we're going to get into that in a minute i'm I'm just going to go over some of the basic the way depression looks in the world and some of the clinical definitions of it so there's two basic forms of depression that I know about as a therapist. And one, this is the old definition. It's called uh, dysthymia. And I think it's called intermittent depressive disorder now, where you're kind of sad more days than not. You're tired. You just feel crappy. Life sucks. eh, And it's kind of a low grade thing that can last for years. That's what you see mostly. That's what I've seen mostly. And then you have your depressive episodes. That's major depressive episodes. That's the other type of depression that you see where people are severely depressed for like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks at a time. And those symptoms, what's this thing called anhedonia where you have loss of interest in pleasure, able to experience pleasure, you know, eating, intimacy, all that stuff. None of that brings you any joy. Angry outbursts, irritability, frustration, feelings of sadness, tiredness, lack of energy, small tasks seem like they take a ton of effort. 
agitation, restlessness, slowed thinking, even slower body movements, feelings of worthlessness, guilt, fixating on past failures, self-blame, unexplained physical problems such as back pain or headaches, frequent recurring thoughts of death, suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, or suicide. Uh, Does any of that sound familiar? All of the above. Okay. And would you say that you're more of the dysthymic depressed or would do you have do you think you have major depressive episodes, like discrete episodes of like a few weeks or days at a time? I think that like it's a little bit of both, right? I like to use this analogy, but it like it reminds me of in the Avengers when they ask Bruce Banner like why doesn't he like become the Hulk all the time? Uh-huh. And then he says that his secret is that he's always angry. So he's able to control being the Hulk. And so like in a sense I'm always depressed, but Mm -hmm. I'm able to control it, and that's okay. So he's always angry, and he has access to it because he's always angry, and he can just turn it up when he needs to. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm not saying that, like, I need to turn up my depression (laughs) when I need to. But you get to points where you're not able to control it, where it really takes over your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the analogy doesn't really work there. But really, the Hulk is also about transformation that happens from within. That when somebody is depressed or anxious, they, it's like you become a different person or a different thing, or almost like a monster. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are some of your warning signs that you are slipping into a depressive episode? Um, I become like more emotional than I typically am. I tend to focus on little things, either like whimper, or cry to myself about them. Can you give me an example? Maybe like I'm talking to my parents on the phone. I tell them that I'm about to say goodbye and tell them that I love them. But in a sense, I'm like, I don't really want to like get off the phone with them. Oh, okay. And I mean, I have a okay relationship with my parents, but I don't mind getting off the phone with them. Mm-hmm. You know, And so that's a warning sign for me is just being a little bit more emotional than I usually am. Right. So like saying goodbye to your parents is a form of like, oh shit, my mom and dad is gone. Yeah. And for most adults, that's not a problem. But when you're in this state, you're more kind of labile. You'll, you'll switch back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Another is I don't really want to move or go anywhere. I'd rather just sleep all day. Really? Yeah. How do you function? Like, how do you eat and drink water and use the bathroom and shower and all that? I don't. You don't? No. Like, you won't eat for days? I've not eaten for like 36 hours at some points, you know? Jeez. But like, when you're not moving and you're conserving energy, <laughs> it's okay, you know? So, the Inuit up in, um, the Arctic Circle. Uh, notice I didn't say Eskimo. I'm, I'm learning my... Well, you just did. I know, but I, I am sanitizing it in a weird way. Anyway, the Inuit... You're sanitizing there. the Eskimos? See, man, you're you're going down a dark path. I am. I, I, I'm not sanitizing anyone. I'm just saying that instead of... I'm saying Inuit because I feel like I've, I've progressed as a person and I will no longer say Eskimo because Eskimo is not a real world word apparently anymore. Anyway, the Inuit, they do this thing where if they are lost, if they're in a boat or a canoe or something like that, and they're out there in the ocean and they're lost, first thing to do is lay down and go to sleep to conserve their energy. Do you think you're intentionally trying to conserve your energy or you're just wiped out? I think I'm just intentionally trying to conserve my energy. For, to what end? Because no, you have none? There so is there is no end. There is no end? Okay. <laughs> Until like I have to get up, you know, yeah. to like use the restroom. What's your thought process like when you're laying in bed and you're not moving for what's literally days at a time? I don't know. It depends. Sometimes I have like a lot of thoughts racing. Sometimes I just stop using my brain entirely. So you have racing thoughts? All of racing thoughts. Yeah. What are the racing thoughts about usually? Um, past 
mistakes or regrets, just stupid moments from the past. You know, they they come up and you're just, why did I do that? But can like you, in you, in a sense, they like don't even matter. Can you, you know? give me an example? I had one that came up earlier today. It was it was about I asked my boss at the time. We were having like a conversation, and she was like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy a house," and I asked what's what's your price range and like this other person was like whoa why'd you ask that you're not allowed to ask that really all like upsetting link and i was just okay whatever then just don't answer the question but uh it was like guilt socially shame. awkward moment yeah and yeah. i was just well whatever i don't care but then it came back up just for no reason in your know? head yeah in my head but that moment happened right. like years ago you oh know? really that how many how long ago was that i don't know maybe 26 16 maybe wow and you're are you feeling depressed now no no so in other words you'll have a plethora of those kinds of moments when yeah. you're laying in bed just mulling over things dumb stuff yeah it's like shower thoughts you know what's a shower thought like when you come up with some idea in your head or like you're having an argument with yourself <laughs> that you're winning in the shower <laughs> of like moments that don't exist yeah so it's like you're almost having this argument with a person that either may or may not exist and you're winning said argument what kind of arguments do you have with yourself uh they're not with myself it's just maybe you have this racing thought about like a person and they uh they disagree with you in your in your head so you try and come up with like a salute you're like solutioning fake problems right so you'll have an argument with a friend yeah or a coworker who you yeah. had an issue with about whatever and then you're trying to like prove them wrong or right or so i have my old therapist seymour was a cantankerous old kraut he would do this thing where he would when i would talk about a date that had gone badly or something that wasn't working in my life he would often blame me for it like well, why are you doing it that way what's wrong with you why why can't you figure it out and I know that he was just trying to poke me kind of to get me moving, but it would really piss me off because that's like, well, I don't know why I did the thing that I don't know why I did it. You know, it's like people make mistakes, people fuck up. And so now I argue with him constantly about shit that's not going right in my life where he's just like, why did you fuck it up again? You know? And um, yeah, I, I get so mad at him. Oh, do you ever get mad at people that aren't around anymore? Yeah. I had a really shit roommate. He was like the worst person ever. Yeah. What was he? What, what made him so terrible? He was a one-upper. I think his worst one-up, which me even bringing it up makes it sound like I'm one-upping all one-uppers. We're absolutely one-upping one-uppers. Fuck them. Go ahead. My my friend was over at our apartment at the time, and he got a call from his mom that their house in the Northeast it was uh, it was burning down, and he couldn't do anything about it. And like their garage was on fire, and he was like losing basically all of his memories, photo albums, and stuff around uh. there. And then when we went to go tell my roommate. The first thing that came out of his mouth wasn't like, oh, I'm so- sorry. He said, oh, that's crazy. One of my friend's house burnt all the way down and then they collected insurance money on it. So that could be, <laughs> that could happen for you. Oh, God. So he's, he's trying to hang his hat on that conversation. Ugh. So do you know what one-upping is about, by the way? This is a little sidebar. Um, they want to like connect with you. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's actually right. I think it is a form of, of trying to connect with somebody because they don't have any social skills at all oftentimes. And the only way they know how to connect is by, they, they want you to, they want to impress you, mm-hmm. right? They also feel inferior. So they're always looking for opportunities unconsciously because when they know, all they know is that when they one up someone, they feel good mm-hmm. and they don't realize they're one upping. They're just saying, oh, it would be nice to say that. Yeah. This is, looks like a good opportunity to say that thing that I want to say. Mm-hmm. It's really gross. So instead of listening, they're just waiting for their chance to talk. Yeah, which is what I do sometimes. 
I think, too much. But is that what this conversation is? I hope not. Okay. <laughs> I hope not. Anyway, so you get in these situations. You're not leaving. You're not getting out of bed. You're not eating. You're getting up to use the bathroom. You're not cleaning. What does your apartment look like when you're in a depressive state? I know my kitchen is a mess. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I don't do laundry. So one of the early signs is that you're labile. Another early sign is that you don't do laundry. And so for me, it's like a, a canary in the coal mine. Yeah. That's a sure sign that you're almost every single time, isn't it? I don't know. Working from home has made not doing laundry so much easier. You know? <laughs> it's so true. I don't have to go anywhere. I, I wonder if just... the laundry in- industry has suffered because of it. Maybe. Is there a way to short the laundry industry? Just stop buying Tide Pods. You know, I don't. Well, that's not going to make me any money, though. No. But how can I like? I know? don't think it's going to be a problem because you're essentially talking about Procter and Gamble, which is a chemical company, and some of their products are not being sold. Yeah, you know? it's not enough. Damn. Um. So, anything else? Any of their symptoms? Um. Do you, you don't talk to friends? You don't reach out to people? You don't call? Anybody? I should. I don't. You don't when you're in those states. Yeah. Okay. Is there a difference between a moderate depressive episode and a really severe one for you? I don't see it, but I think other people do. Okay, can you give me an example of what they other people might be saying? And well, that's a difficult because, like, just based on like, I don't reach out to people, so right. do people even see it, or do I hide it? Yeah, very well. You know, right. what do you think is the longest depressive episode you've had? Um, my like super depressive episodes really kickstarted a few years ago uh-huh. by this like one event when I was in Thailand. I was on a vacation with friends for about a month mm-hmm. and there was a moment when I, you know the whole trip was going really well i there was nothing wrong with the trip but there was a moment when i was out in the middle of the ocean by myself and i just i felt very like alone uh-huh. in time and space like i could just kind of just stay there forever and i felt really kind of alone like i was just this small piece in a bigger world actually i just started like crying i had to go back to like where we were staying and just kind of hang out there and it wasn't great it sucked to be honest that's but, fascinating and and so and then, then it kind of like kick-started into this six month long just downward spiral where i wasn't seeking any sort of help because i didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. i started having panic attacks almost daily having to leave work and it all kind of culminated into me quitting my job six months later that's pretty intense and you hadn't had depressive episodes before that no what year was this 2019 so you lost your job and then you were i didn't lose my job i quit my job you quit your job and then i was going to take a few months off and then get back into work but covid happened and i uh basically wouldn't wasn't able to find a job what got you out of it um relaxing uh, finding myself how'd you do those things well i wasn't working so mm-hmm. there wasn't anything to like stress me out to be honest i probably should have left that job a while before that was it toxic it was very toxic yeah, yeah. what was going on boss micromanagey mm-hmm. and i wasn't doing the thing that made me happy what makes you happy uh i'm a designer so designing things and you weren't um, designing you were what were you doing it just wasn't what i wanted to be designing okay it was something gross that made you like here here's this cube design this cube for us yeah to an extent mostly yeah. the micromanagey stuff yeah and it's like it's like tell me what to do or tell me how to do it but don't tell me both Otherwise, I'm not doing anything creative for you. I'm not bringing anything to the table. So you relaxed. You took some time. How did you work on yourself? What did you do? Went outside, did photography. The pandemic made it pretty easy for that. Uh 
in terms of like the things that I like to focus on. Okay. And yeah, just being outside and exploring the world. Did you get therapy? I did. Yes. Was that helpful? It was helpful. Yeah. Okay. How did therapy help you? It kind of let me kind of understand where my depression was coming from. It also gave me some like pointers and also gave me the ability to focus. What were some of the pointers that helped you? So I think some of the things that helped me in a concrete way were my therapist in a, in a way of forcing me to do things. What did this therapist force you to do? This therapist forced me to make sure that I was reaching out to people that I, I cared about in my life, three phone calls a week, and then uh, going outside, being active. Like doing what? Working out was a good one. Just enjoying the outdoors, going uh-huh. to parks, mm-hmm. staying off my phone, not consuming any sort of digital media. I still have a lot of those things baked into the way that I carry myself today. And I know that if I'm slipping on a few of those, Mm -hmm. then it's one of those like red flags. Oh, like the laundry. Like the laundry or not working out or not moving. (laughs) Not moving, not keeping commitments. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go on medications for your depression? I did, but it wasn't until later. Was that helpful? It was. Um, I think that it's difficult because I had tried to do that early on in my, my 20s. Um, we had a family doctor. I didn't have to see a therapist or anything. It was like family friend, family doctor sure. who wound up giving me, I think it was Wellbutrin at the time and some other one. One of them didn't work. Uh, I had some physical like issues that went into it that I'm not going to describe on this podcast. <laughs> okay. The other one threw me into, made me very suicidal. Like oh, really? I wanted to kill myself. Wow. And wow. so I stopped taking them. Okay. And I also just kind of like stopped in general. I was like, oh, I can take care of this myself. Right. And then, you know, 10 years goes by. Now I'm like in a place where like I need it, but I'm also more educated to get that kind of help. Right. And so I took it a little bit more seriously. I knew going in, one thing may or may not work for me. And uh-huh. that it'll, it'll kind of be a test. You know, right. I have to like see if this... If this drug is right for me, you know? So let me speak on medications. So I'm not a doctor, but from what I've been told from doctors and from what I've read uh, and what I've heard from patients, it is getting on a medication is very much a testing process. Everybody's brain works differently. And and a lot of these drugs, they tweak your brain chemistry. Um, They tweak your dopamine. They tweak this, they tweak that. A lot of people think, oh, I don't like psychiatrists. I don't believe in medications. If you're feeling suicidal, if if things aren't switching up in your life, try a medication. I've seen them work miracles. The idea is, is that sometimes we get into these structures psychologically that are like vortexes. And the analogy that I use is if you think of a maelstrom, um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story called The Maelstrom, which is about this giant whirlpool in the middle of the ocean that sucks down ships. And I think it's a great metaphor for depression because if the maelstrom is really, really huge on the outskirts of the maelstrom, it looks like you're sailing in a straight line, but really you're actually going around in this really wide circle and you're slowly spiraling downwards and you're stuck in a structure. At first you think you're kind of going along and all of a sudden things are getting worse and worse. And then you get into this mentality like, oh, nothing really matters anyway. Life is meaningless. Right. Life is there's no purpose. There's no point. Fuck it. Alcoholics Anonymous. They call it getting the fuckets, and people relapse. It's this whole framework where nothing fucking matters. And why should I take a med? Why should I get up and go for? Why why should I make money? Why should I? Nobody cares about me. I'm a big burden. And it's like all the arrows in one's life starts to point downwards. And what a medication can do is it can interrupt that framing. I think it can really change the underlying structure that is plaguing you. That's why depression is so tough to beat. 
because it's it colors your entire worldview. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like I, I think it's taken a really long time for society as a whole to recognize depression as mm-hmm. an illness. Where you can be at work and you can say that you're depressed, mm-hmm. but a coworker doesn't get depression, and so therefore they can't relate to it. Yeah, they think and, of it as oh, you must be feeling sad. So perk yeah, up. You yeah. Know? So perk up. Don't feel sad. Like that's not. Yeah. That's not really how that works, yeah. and it's not helpful Yeah, in any capacity. I found a, a lot of the ways that I would deal with it at work, I would just say that I am sick, like I have a cold or something, oh, because it's a lot easier for someone in the work environment to relate to you being sick, like you having a cold, than to say that you're depressed because they don't really understand it. Yeah. From a work perspective, it's like, oh, I just, I'm really sick today. Or from anyone perspective, from a yeah. family, even a family member might not, yeah. not get it, which is can be really damaging when their family member is like, what's wrong? Nothing wrong. You buck up, you know? Yeah. I've also seen folks with depressive episodes, they're nearly psychotic with depression. Psychosis can be associated with depression, actual psychosis. It can get really severe where people, they feel like they're losing their minds. Seymour said to me, and I don't know if I agree with this or not, but it's an interesting statement. He said that the reason some people commit suicide is because they're afraid they're going to lose their minds. I don't think most people know what it's like to lose their mind and that depression is the road towards a certain insanity. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so once again, if you are feeling depressed, medications, get a therapist, someone to talk to. So the medications and the therapy work together. Because if you're super, super depressed, if you're in this terrible state where you're stuck in the maelstrom, talk therapy is not going to work. It's like people who are on drugs, who are struggling with substance abuse, if they're high, there's no point in them being in therapy. So you have to get them dried first and then put them in therapy, right? So they're not, their brain isn't affected. So I almost think of these medications as almost like probiotics for digestion because you need to digest the therapy. And so don't reach out to unhelpful people. Family members are just going to tell you to buck up or friends that don't understand. That's not going to help because you're Mm -hmm. just going to feel worse because they have no frame of reference to which to understand what you're going through. How could they, right? It's impossible for someone to understand something that, you know, you know, Carl Jung said, our consciousness cannot expand beyond the own boundaries, its own limits. How can you know more than you know? How can you see more than you can see? You know, I knew someone who lost 10% of her vision once because she hit her head and didn't know that she'd lost 10% of her vision until she went to see a neurologist. But she never knew because, well, everything shrunk by 10%. But the point I'm making is it's kind of a fancy way of saying that you cannot inflict consciousness upon somebody. They Mm -hmm. just can't know what they don't know. So find people who are kind of allies, um, call those people, or call people and don't tell them you're depressed, but just say, hey, I just want to talk, right? If they don't understand, like I have a cold, I'm just not feeling good today. I just wanted to hear your voice. Stay active. There's this really, really, really cool one. I've I mentioned this in probably all my podcasts. I love it, even though I hate the modality that it comes from, which is DBT. But I think DBT is very helpful. I just dislike it because it's it's very pedantic. What's DBT? DB dialectical behavioral therapy. It's it embraces this whole idea of sort of surrendering or radical acceptance, accepting where you're at while simultaneously moving towards changing the situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm very angry, I'm very upset, I feel like I'm flipping out, and I'm gonna step into that, own it, and I'm gonna go do something about it, like run around the block, meditate, do deep breathing, do some kind of exercise. There's actually a lot of cool things about DBT, I kind of take that back, like riding the wave of emotion instead of trying to fight it, sort of surfing it. Yeah. But the one I really like a lot, and thank you DBT people, is opposite action. 
I love opposite action because opposite action is so basic. If you feel like frowning, smile. <laughs> if you feel like, and I'm sure there's studies that say that if you smile, it affects the thing and you're actually happy. And I don't know, it doesn't help me, it never helped the Joker. But the point is, if you're feeling like staying in, you go out. If you feel like laying in bed, get out of bed. If you don't feel like doing that project, go do the project. Whatever it is, do the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. Someone calls you, you don't want to call them back, call the person back. And the indicator is, I don't want to do that. So as soon as the arrow says, I don't want to do that, you flip the arrow around and you go do the thing. <laughs> right. Now, that doesn't always work. Like a friend of mine, my insane friend Andy, who called me last night, half drunk with a bunch of people in over on Polk Street somewhere saying, Ben, we're going to get a bottle of vodka and go to Liz's house. And I'm like, who's Liz? I don't know. I just met her. You should come. No, not doing that. You go have fun at Liz's house. Please don't break any of Liz's furniture. Be nice to Liz, whoever she is. Yeah, you can't, you can't <laughs> win them all. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk a little about suicidality. So suicidality is the number one risk factor that accompanies depression. We therapists are trained to ask, do you intend to hurt yourself, harm yourself? Do you have the means? And do you have a plan? Oh, yeah. So as far as like the whole like killing myself and like suicidal ideation stuff goes i've definitely thought about it Mm -hmm. and i was like oh i could hang myself but then when i think about how that would even like manifest itself i don't have the means to do so Mm -hmm. so in a sense my depression actually helps me out because it's like oh that's too, it's much, too much work too much work it's, to, it's too much to kill you to get a rope and like it's, it's do all too that. much work to kill yourself so so fuck it you know you know the poem by dorothy parker no i'm gonna commit a crime and read this poem how is it a crime because everybody quotes it but i have to do it <laughs> okay so dorothy parker she wrote this poem about suicidal she i believe uh, she was highly depressed her whole life she's a poet from i guess early 20th century anyway it's called resume Razors pain you, rivers are damp, acids stain you, and drugs cause cramp. Guns aren't lawful, nooses give, gas smells awful, you might as well live. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I know that's, I shouldn't be making fun of this stuff, but it's dark, but it reminded me very much of like, she was so depressed, it's like she couldn't even, good that she couldn't, but it's an interesting, it's interesting take, I never really thought about it. But I wanted to, to compare sort of suicidal ideation can be much more vague it can be like i feel like i shouldn't be on this earth like i don't belong here but when there's a real hardcore suicidal thought that's when therapists kind of were actually allowed to like have someone 5158 and all that mm-hmm. have them drug off to the hospital and whatnot um if they have a plan means an intent so that doesn't happen very often i've never actually had to do that do you think it doesn't happen often because no one's reaching out and so therefore most people don't know that it's even occurring yeah for sure. And Good so point. like someone will commit suicide because they haven't talked to someone? 1000%. Excellent question. Thank you. Also, there is evidence that talking about suicide and suicidal feelings do not increase the likelihood of it. Uh, yeah. If you suspect somebody is dealing with that, ask them, you know, what's going on? Do you have a plan? Do you have a means? Do you have intent? The problem is a lot of times, so warning signs of suicidality can be like somebody, somebody who's suicidal can suddenly become very happy because they've kind of made up their mind like, oh, everything's going to end in a couple of days. I'm going to be okay. They're content. Yeah. Very spooky stuff where they start shoring up all their financial stuff. They give things away. It's really, really dark. Also, people who are suicidal often talk about how they're a burden to others. Yeah. You know, that's how like somebody with a, you know, a husband or a wife and kids will think, oh, they just, I'm just a burden to them. You know, I'll be, they'd be better off without me. Other risk factors are previous suicide attempts, a family history of suicide. And it's almost like if there's a family history, it's kind of an unknown option. It's just, there's a familiarity with it. 
Well, it's like if if my uncle did it, then I can do it too. Yeah, and but you've known it for a long time. That was just sort of a route to go in. It's something you you grew up with. So protective factors are like access to mental health care, people who are proactive about mental health, community support. So community support is everything if someone is feeling suicidal. It's the most important thing I know about. A lot of folks who are suicidal are also in recovery for substance abuse. So they have AA and NA, which I think are amazing options. People usually who are who are doing better at problem solving and coping skills. Coping skills would be like when you were learning to go outside and do stuff and all that. And limited access to lethal means, like you, you know, you don't have a, you don't own a gun. Anyway, pretty intense stuff. So let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, so you talked about that rather harrowing experience in the middle of the ocean. You were alone, you were isolated. I wonder if the reason that tripped off a depressive episode was because, it, do you think that functioned as a metaphor for your life experience or some sort of childhood trauma? Mm, I don't know. I still haven't really ever fully grasped what happened. I'm just trying to manage with it and trying to figure out what it can do so that it doesn't happen again. Right. So you were in the middle of the, of the water out there. Mm-hmm. In, was it Thailand? Yeah, it was Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something I can, very lonely feeling about being, it's sort of also dangerous. It's like you're far from land. It was far from land. Sun was going down. It was getting dark. And I just kind of wanted to be out there. The thing that really luckily took me out of it in mm-hmm. a very scary way, mm-hmm. but allowed me to come back to shore was they have these boats in thailand that have these really long the blade on it Mm -hmm. then like pushes the boat forward Mm -hmm. and when i say long i mean like i'm talking like 10 feet long you know sure so they're like down into the water anyone one of these boats passed by me while it's super dark in the ocean and then scared the crap out of me and so i was like well i don't want to die by rotor death torture it was shallow water too you were just uh it was i was still standing yeah right. but like on my tiptoes you know and so i just i went back to shore from there huh. it was very beautiful and like surreal but at the same time like very like lonely yeah and i felt like i didn't belong did you feel lonely as a child uh a little bit yeah talk about your family system whether what was it like so my family it's a good family dynamic uh, I have a sister and mom and dad. They were together for my entirety of my childhood. We traveled a lot and I was exposed to a lot of the world that I don't think a lot of people have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up and I wasn't like pushed to develop any friendships or anything. And so, as far as growth went, as far as like self growth, that didn't really come until my 20s. But there was also quite a bit of neglect, wasn't there? like psychological neglect yeah yeah can you describe that i can't um i don't know i don't know well can you describe to me that remember that you told me that story about that car ride that happened like a few years ago i know i know but it's still reminiscent of your family structure sure so we were on a road trip to my family home and it's about five hour drive but through the entirety of it my parents didn't really talk to me the Mm -hmm. whole way they don't really talk to me about anything ever. They talk to each other about finance, the weather, the traffic, you know, anything that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. You just think of it as one big, long, casual conversation that lasts five hours. Mm-hmm. But whenever I would bring up something that I want to talk about, you know, I'd be shut down very quickly. So it puts me in a position where I just don't really want to talk at all. And so I tend to shut down. Five hour car ride, no one really spoke. Mm-hmm. That's creepy to me. Yeah. So I just spent time on my phone, played phone games or read the news or whatever. Let's talk about the phone thing. 
when I talk to my parents on the phone, just in general, I'm able to talk with my dad for hours at a time. Mm -hmm. But when I get on the phone with my mom, I think the longest I've stayed on the phone with her is probably about 20 minutes. It typically lasts about five minutes. I could probably guess based on initial context, I could play a game with myself and be like, how long will mom be on the phone for? You know? I know that she like loves me and stuff, but she just doesn't want to talk to me on the phone for very long. And she'll also like call me, but then like say that she has to go, even though she's a 60 year old woman, it's nine o'clock at night on a Sunday. She doesn't have anything to do. Yeah. Like, why does she have to go? You know? What do you think would happen if you try to bring up a serious conversation with your mother? I have, and it doesn't usually go very well. She feels as though I'm either attacking her as a person or I'm just attacking her in general. I've been told by my dad and my mom, if you want to have a conversation with your mom, just make sure it's the topic that she cares about, which is either money or politics. And Mm -hmm. I'd rather not talk about either of those things. Sure. Um, Mostly because they're just very like radical views. I don't care. So I'm not going to have that kind of conversation. Tell me about Christmas. So Christmas a couple of years ago, I was COVID. I wasn't able to come home because of the variants and restricted travel. And so I decided to stay in the Bay Area. I had agreed with my family to celebrate Christmas on a specific day. I had sent gifts their way. It was going to be basically like a virtual Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what day it was, either the 23rd or the 24th or something. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll call you guys, you know, I'll call you guys then and we'll, we'll talk and guys can have Christmas and pass gifts around and I can be there and be present with you guys. And I guess I got the date wrong. I thought it was on the 24th. It happened to be on the 23rd. And I called them and I was like, hey, just calling to check in and see when Christmas is, you know, when we're going to do it. And they're like, oh, we did it last night. I was like, you did it last night? Like, yeah, we're on our way home now. You know, your sister and her husband have left already. We're just heading home. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was today. And she's like, no. No, it was it was last night and I was like, why didn't you call me back? And they're like, oh, you know, we didn't think about it. Your sister said that you were going to call. And so we were just waiting on you and waiting. And then we decided to just have it do it anyway. I was like, well, why don't you just call me? And it got very defensive. Like my mom started getting very defensive. And because at that point I had told her that I'm sorry that I had gotten the date wrong. Uh-huh. She was getting defensive and thinking that, well, you forgot, so therefore it's your fault that you forgot Christmas. And I'm like, there's four other people on that side. Yeah. Could have reached out and called me. Yeah. Why is the onus on me alone uh-huh. to like celebrate Christmas with y'all? Sure. And it was very difficult to have that conversation because uh-huh. my sister wound up not owning up to it either, uh-huh. and nor did my dad. Wow. And it just, I felt very alone at yeah. that point. And that I wasn't one with the family because everyone lives where my parents live and they're able to have those moments together. And if I'm not there, then it doesn't matter. It's like you don't exist because you're not there. Exactly. Yeah. Don't you think that maybe in the ocean that's might have how you how you felt? Uh, I think somewhat to an extent. Like yeah. I, no one knows I'm here and no one knows I exist and no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been pretty hard. It is. Yeah, it yeah. was. And was that dynamic, that strange sort of quiet, I don't exist feeling there, do you think, when you were younger? Um, a little bit. I know that like I spent a lot of time to myself in my room mm-hmm. because I didn't have that many friends and parents didn't really like 
check in on me, I guess. What do you mean they didn't check in on you? Uh, I just wasn't very like active. I didn't have a lot of friends, so I wasn't very like active in talking. My sister, very extroverted, had a lot of friends, mm-hmm. talked about her day. Mm-hmm. I was more of like the quiet type. So and, she filled up all the space in the family? Yeah. And I still like to this day, if we're going to go on like family trips, I prefer her to be there because she still fills in that space. I wonder how that made you feel as a child. If you knew, if you could felt felt it in some way. I don't know if I felt it. I probably feel it more now than I did then. Well, but maybe that, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, as a kid, you know, you were in this dynamic that, of course, you didn't have the psychological acumen to be aware of, but it was sort of written into you. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, slam, boom, oh my God. It almost feels like your depressive episode was a shift in consciousness, like, like a greater consciousness of a, a great sadness that you held within yourself that you didn't even know you had. Yeah, I could see that. You said earlier that getting insight through therapy helped you with your depression. How does insight help you with depression? It's kind of like being consciously aware of my own feelings and what I can do in the moment to make myself feel better. So in other words, when you're feeling a thing of sadness that you know is connected to something much deeper, Mm-hmm. You know that, oh, that I'm not sad about X, Y, or Z. I'm actually sad about something much deeper. And this is this is an issue that is- um, Rooted in X or Y. That is yeah. old. I need to take action. I need to go outside. I need to, it's mm-hmm. not, I can't solve for it. Yeah, I can't that. solve for it. I think you had, you had mentioned earlier about something about riding the wave mm-hmm. of depression. And I think that's really what it's about. It's not about you have no control over the ocean itself, right. but if you're able to stabilize yourself on the wave, for instance, yeah. it can help you in the long run. Knowing that it's a wave, because a lot of people, they don't know they're on a wave. Right. They just think that they're sad because you know they broke a toenail or something like that. Yeah. What's it like to talk about it right now? Interesting. <laughs> Say more. Uh, it feels good to talk about it right now. I think that like talking about my depression and talking about how I feel is kind of like a safe space mm-hmm. where I'm able to process my thoughts and do it in a way that's constructive, where mm-hmm. I'm able to talk about my feelings, also just understand where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, Seymour always said that consciousness was the great elixir. And uh, I think he's right. It's, you know, it's like riding the wave or opposite action. Those are all just consciousness. It's, it's just having greater consciousness about what's happening to you in the moment and being able to make the better choice. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, when you when you were first depressed, you didn't know what was happening to you. And I think the first step to helping oneself with depression is understanding that this is occurring. It's really about taking the steps to understanding where you are in a moment in time. So mm-hmm. that way, when those moments in time exist and occur, mm-hmm. that you can be prepared for them. Mm-hmm. And you have the skills and the tools to help you along the way. Yeah, for sure. To this day, are there any certain events or situations that trigger a depressive episode? Is there, or is it just unpredictable? It's very unpredictable, to be honest. Okay. I think one of the things that does do it for me, though, is uh, breaking a pattern of trust with someone. So if someone uses my words against me, uh-huh. it will make me depressed. I would imagine. That's something that I dealt with from childhood trauma was confiding in my parents and having them use my words against me. Uh Do you want to speak to that? Not really. Okay. What is your message for those who may be struggling with depression out there? Find someone to talk to um, so that you can kind of better understand yourself and Mm -hmm. 
make yourself feel better. You don't have the means to find a therapist, find an ally or someone that cares about you that would be willing to talk to you mm-hmm. about anything and not pass judgment on you. Yeah. Um, I think it's very helpful. I would also mention there's a, there are lots of clinics in San Francisco and Marin County and really all over the Bay Area where folks who are in school, interns like myself, who was once an intern, are working for nothing. <laughs> mm. And there's things like the Marina Counseling Center uh, in San Francisco, something called the USCF Alliance Health Project, the Hope Center. There's the Access Institute for Psychological Services. I'm just reading this. I just, I just Googled Free Therapy SF, Integral Counseling Center, Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, Westside Community Services, San Francisco Marriage and Couple Center, the Well Clinic, Community Behavior Health Services. There's, they're all over the place. Golden Gate Integral Counseling Center, Gay Therapy Center, Liberation Institute. That's a pretty big one in the mission. Anyway, I'm just, just so folks, just Google whatever area you're in, just Google free therapy, whatever area you're in on Google and see what pops up. And these clinics will pop up. And if you call them, folks tend to know each other. So if they can't help you, they will likely know somebody who can. So just make phone calls, right? Um, Any message for those who have loved ones who may be struggling with depression? What should they be doing? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it's a hard one. Uh, Reach out to the person, get them to talk. Don't try to solve their depression. Don't try to solve their sadness. The best thing you can do is let the person talk. Mm-hmm. direct them to the resources that I mentioned. A lot of times folks like that, they may already have a doctor or a psychiatrist that they haven't seen in a while. Maybe they went off their meds. You can say, hey, have you, have you been to see your psychiatrist lately? Are you taking your meds? That's a question you can ask uh, if they're on meds. You can say, when's the last time you went outside? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't mean to play therapist, but if you're worried about your friend or loved one, you can say, no, do you, are you having any suicidal thoughts? Again, you're not going to increase someone's chances of suicide by talking about it. Um, really making sure that somebody isn't harming themselves. Sometimes people that are depressed that will cut themselves. That's a question you can ask. You've been cutting or anything like that. Now, I don't want to put too much burden onto the friend, but if you're really, really concerned, these are questions you can ask. If you are concerned that somebody is suicidal, you can do what's called, at least in the Bay Area, you can do what's called a wellness welfare check. And you can call the police and say, hey, I'd like to do a welfare check on so-and-so. And you give the address and the police will go. I think the, there's actual separate team at least in San Francisco, that will go, well, welfare check team, I don't know what they're called. And they will knock on the door and see how the person is doing. And if they decide the person is not doing well, they'll, they'll take them into the, uh, the emergency room. If you don't know where to take somebody and they're having a mental health emergency, you call 911 or you take them to the emergency room. Any, any problem that you have at all, go to the ER because the ER has all, they do all the triaging stuff there and they'll figure out what the person needs in terms of, they know more than you do. So that's the place to go. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Say speak to? Mm, No, I think I'm good. You think you're good? All right. Uh, Well, sir, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Justin also wants to do a cooking podcast at some point. I don't know how that's going to work because I think a video would be better, but I love food and I love talking about cooking and like the health benefits of cooking. So maybe we should put our heads together and figure out how to do that. How do we do a podcast about, about cooking, about how awesome it is? I think we can figure it out. We'll figure it out? Yeah. Well, Justin's at higher power than I am when it comes to the kitchen, which that's, is inti- that's... intimidating. And it is true. Stop being so fucking humble. It's true. And I don't know. It's true. Ben, ben just made me this really great egg sandwich. It was a stupid egg sandwich. It was just an egg and two pieces of bread. How awesome could that And butter. Be? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, just... and, and some sort of cast iron pan that probably wasn't cleaned for a month. No, yes. it was at least a week. A week. I cleaned that's it. That's good. Yeah. That's fine. You don't yeah. really have to clean them. Yeah. You know? It had uh, steak fat in it, I think. 
that even better. Yeah. You know? All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Should you wish to be a guest or would like more information about my podcast and what I do, feel free to contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or visit my website at benjaminrusick.com. Thank you. And remember, should you ever find that your plate is full, well, try using a larger plate.